So now that you've chosen the vanity, paint, and bathroom tile, you still can't decide on the faucet. Let the Home Depot make that easier by saving $10 on the sleek, modern Moen Genta faucet. Right now, it's only 89 bucks. How's that for easy choices? The Moen Genta faucet. Now, just 89 bucks during the winter kitchen and bath event at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Vowed through March 24th, while supplies last. Welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ass. <laughs> Holy sh! They're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. And on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. Welcome to the 134th episode of the movie show by Monkeys Fighting Robots. Blade Runner 2049 is upon us, and we have reviews and interviews. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo, and I'm also the co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com. If you like the show, subscribe on Blog Talk Radio and or drop us a few comments on the website. I can hear you breathing while you listen to this show. So after you go see Blade Runner 2049, come back and leave a comment. The comic show is now sponsored by Uncanny Heroes in Tampa. They have a huge selection of trades and graphic novels at Uncanny Heroes, and every day trades and graphic novels are 25% off. Uncanny Heroes is located at 12904 North 56th Street in Temple Terrace. Check them out on the web at UncannyHeroes.com and like them on Facebook at Uncanny Heroes Tampa. Support your local comic book store, people! I want to take this time to thank Megacon Tampa for a great weekend. We had an amazing time at our booth, and I need to thank IDW Publishing, Image Comics, DC Comics, and Boom Studios for providing the prizes that we gave away during the Roll the Bones of Doom contest at our booth. If you are ever at a convention that we are at, make sure you come to our booth because we always try to have the most fun ever at conventions. And I love meeting you all and all the people I did meet. Thank you so much for stopping by. And I hope I'm entertaining enough for you guys to continue listening to the show. And I can't wait till Megacon Orlando 2018. We also partnered up with Nerd Roast Coffee Company. They have a unique origin. Nerd Roast Coffee is what happens when developers, designers, and other nerds come together to create the perfect coffee. They wanted to make delicious coffee that will give you the kick you need to get you through your day. And each bag of coffee features unique comic book artwork. You can read it while you're making coffee, and every time you make coffee, you're like, I'm entertained, and I'm jacked up on caffeine. You have to check them out. Check them out on the web at nerdroast.com and use promo code MONKEYS15 for 15% off your order. Once again, that's nerdroast.com. I thought you might be able to help me with the case. Any idea where I could find him? Your police plan on taking me in. I would much prefer that to the alternative.
shape of civilization was built off the back of slaves. Replicants are the future, but I can only make so many. I had the luck, and he has the key. I think I found him. That's not possible. If this gets out, we've bought ourselves a war. You're a cop. I did your job once. Things were simpler then. What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. What happened? I covered my tracks. Scramble the records. We were being hunted. By who? They know you're here. You do not know what pain is yet. You will learn. Bring it to me. This breaks the world. We have to go. I'm coming with you. The future of the species is finally unearthed. Blade Runner 2049. I feel like we've been talking about this movie forever. I was looking back. We have 60 plus articles about this sequel on monkeys fighting robots. So I guess we have been talking about this either a lot or for a very long time. This film is weird. It's weird in the fact that if you are a sci-fi nerd and a fan of Blade Runner, you are going to think this is the best film of the year. I think if you are a general moviegoer, you are going to have a different response. You're going to think it's long. It's boring and not a lot happens. And that was the internal quarrel that I had with myself. Because as a sci-fi nerd, I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And then as the action nerd in me, I was like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. And I just kind of went back and forth of like, you know, what's the meta meeting going on here? Or what's what's going on here with, with Deckard and all these crazy things and and Warner Brothers actually gave me this eight and a half by 11 piece of paper filled with writing of things I can't actually talk about in this film. So I really can't talk a lot about the plot of the film. But what I can talk about is the visuals and all the amazing things that happen in this film. And I, I really, there's a lot of stuff going on. And, and I think initially after your first watching of it, you're going to have to rewatch it again because that's what a Blade Runner film is. It's like, what did I miss? What happened here? When did this happen? Who did what? Oh, I noticed it now on a second viewing. And I didn't see it in an IMAX. And I feel like this is a film that you have to see in an IMAX because with the sound and the direction and the scenes, like this is epic. 
and you need to see it on the epic format. Oh, man. But my action nerd on the other side is like, come on. Like, this movie's almost three hours long. Like, we got to get to something, and, like, something needs to happen. And what's going on? And, like, that's it? What? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that was... That was also what was going on. I thought it was it was a very interesting experience of a film. One second I'm like, this is the most beautiful scene ever with the sound and the visuals and what Ryan Gosling is doing by actually not doing anything at all. Like, oh my god! And then I'm like, oh, he's still walking. Oh. And we're we're just kind of not going to say anything now and, and not going to acknowledge things. And I was like, oh, man. So it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I, I, I definitely leaned towards my sci-fi nerd on judging this film. I, I gave it like a 4.1 out of 5 monkeys. I think the direction by Denny Veneau is just brilliant. And the visuals that are going on and what he put together. Like, this is a Blade Runner film. And, and some people said this could be better than the original Blade Runner film. It's hard to say. That's hard to say. That's that's semantics at that point in time. Uh, the fact that you fit in the same universe and you're not like a Transformers type sequel, I am completely fine with just being like, hey, this fits in the universe. It's like Rogue One. And you're like, oh my God, this is this awesomely fits into the Star Wars universe. A lot of crazy new characters and crazy cool feelings, but... You're like, oh, this still feels like Star Wars. And that's kind of how I felt with Blade Runner 2049 is I was like, oh, my God. How did they match the visuals, the the grain, the, the rainy dreariness, and, and all things that Ridley Scott did in the first one? Like, they have it down. And that's the brilliance of Denny. I think Denny brings a lot of brilliance to this film. Where the conversation is going to lead for people on this film is, like, the script. And is it weak? Is it not weak? And that's where the interpretation is going to have to start kicking in of like, what do they mean? What do they not mean? You know, it's, uh, it's this longstanding battle of artificial intelligence and humans and, and who lies where and, and who has a soul, who doesn't have a soul. And where are those deeper conversations in the film? You know, does the visuals give you a little bit more? with the story and is it something that's left there for you to think on later on? Like it's, you know, this isn't demolition man with Sloan where, you know, who's the bad guy, you know, who's the good guy and, and things blow up at the end. Like it's just, it's just people trying to live their lives and try to figure out the meaning of life. I mean, this is what we try to do. You know, this is what I try to do. I get drunk and I'm like, I really want to figure out the meaning of life. I call up friends or have them come over, sit on the porch. We start philosophizing. And that's what Blade Runner 2049 is. It's it's a concept. It's a beautiful concept. The score is amazing. Again, you know, it's just visually, just the color palette is just beautiful in this. There's there's some white scenes, there's some red scenes, there's some brown scenes, there's some dark, gritty scenes. Like, it just... Oh, so good. So good visually. Like, this is this is a film that will go into film studies syllabuses, syllabi's right now. That, that's what's going to go happen with this. 
I enjoyed it. I'm thinking that most people that listen to the movie show podcast are going to see it and they're going to enjoy it because you're a nerd and you're like a cinephile. Like you're just going to be like, let me go see it. Let's get it out there. Uh, I, I, Ryan Gosling continues to just impress me. Just continues to impress me. I, I, I don't know what it is with him not saying anything, but saying something and it still works. Like ever since I saw Drive, I was like, oh my God, this guy's on my radar. radar. And then like he just continues and, and that's what he did in this one. It's just, ah, oh, it was, it was brilliant. I wish I could tell you more about this film. That's what I really wish I could do. I wish I could tell you more about this film. But Warner Brothers says I can't tell you more about this film. I, I think you'll, re- I think you'll enjoy it. And I definitely understand why people won't enjoy this film if you don't, because it's, it's heavy-handed. It's three hours long. There's stuff going on. But how much more are we going to see Harrison Ford on the big screen? It's a special time. So you got to enjoy the Harrison Ford while it's going on. And uh, Ryan got appreciate Ryan Gosling. Robin Wright, uh, I think I'm getting over her, even though what I've been reading is people really enjoy her performance and it's a standout. But it's, it's just not my cup of tea. I've seen enough of that in House of Cards. I would have liked to see somebody else cast in that role. I feel like it was just, it was lazy casting for me, I think. But to each their own. Jared Leto, I think he's underused in this. I think they should have let the crazy out of the bag. I think that would have been good. Uh, that's how I would have improved the film. I also, you know, as an action nerd, I would have been like, we need to just have a five-minute just balls crazy action scene. Like, Children of Men has one of the most amazing single-take action scenes ever. And I'm like, Denny. Give me some of that. Break some ground. Be just be like, listen, I'm gonna do some amazing shit. You know, cause you did Sicario. Sicario's pretty intense. Sicario has some pretty good shootouts in it. Like just combine like arrival, Sicario, and just a little sprinkles of blade blade runner in there and like just give me the action that I wanted. That would have been like, oh my god. But that's what we hope. That's what I hope for. When I see a film is that I'm going to see something I've never seen before. And with this, I, it's a sequel. So I've seen, I've seen this universe before. The concept is kind of we're expanding on that concept of from the original one. This film can still stand on its own. So I think it does reset the universe well to where if it does a few dollars in the box office, they can do a sequel and then keep growing that universe. It's better than The Force Awakens because I felt like The Force Awakens was, and this is what everybody says, is it's, a, it's verbatim A New Hope. And I see that. And they introduce new characters and they go on a new journey, but you're like, oh my God, Star Wars. And it's so exciting. Can't wait. Ah. Um, but Blade Runner is a different beast. And I, I think that they set it up well for future Blade Runner films. I don't know if I'd be excited for a future one or not, but at least they didn't like shit on a franchise a la Rambo 2. The first film was epic and had deep meaning, and then Rambo 2 is just a blockbuster of shenanigans and a cash grab and building a franchise and just shitting on everything the first one did. Like, that was my biggest worry. Like, 
oh my God, how are they going to do this? This is going to be horrible. This is just going to be, you know, 2017 Hollywood just taking a dump all over Blade Runner. And then on the other hand, I was like, Blade Runner, I think, has succeeded over time to be this epic film that I don't think is that epic. Like, I think the history and the time have made it bigger than it was. And people are like, oh, my God, Blade Runner, Blade Runner. Oh, my God, Blade Runner. It's the best, you know. Ah. And I was like, is it really? Is it really the best ever? I don't know. It's a good film. It's a great science fiction film. It's a great nerd film. It's all these things. But this film, 2049, kind of stands on its own. And you don't even have, you could have just called it Blade Runner and just, I don't know, wouldn't say rebooted the franchise, but just kind of discontinued it and people wouldn't have noticed so much. I, I it's, it's just weird. I've never had a polarizing film before like this where I was like, I really wanted a lot. I want an action movie. And then I was like, I really enjoyed this sci-fi movie immensely. Like, it was just like, ah, I was like torn. But go see it, enjoy it, and come back and let me know what you think of the film. Up next, we have interviews from the cast of Blade Runner. Uh, They did this big press conference the week before the film. So if you see the film, this will kind of make sense to you guys. So just before we begin, to make it easier for you guys to recognize everyone's voice when you're listening to your audio later, we're going to start... And uh, Broderick Johnson, one of the producers of the film, just going to have everybody say who they are so that you know their voices when you're listening to your recording. Broderick. Hello, Broderick Johnson. Hi, Cynthia Sykes-Yorkin. Hampton Fancher. Hey, guys, Dave Bautista. Mackenzie Davis. Sylvia Hooks. Harrison Ford. (laughs) 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 Denis Villeneuve. Ryan Gosling. Robin Wright. Ana de Armas. Michael Green. Andrew Kosov. Well done, everybody. Hampton, I want to start with you. You were, you were there from the very beginning. I want to know if you've been thinking about Rick Deckard over the last 35 years, or had you put him out of your mind for a long time? Did somebody say my name? Where are you? <laughs> I'm over here. Oh. Uh, uh, I'd been thinking about him for a long time. No, I hadn't been thinking about him. I mean, there were times that it came up. Uh, through the 80s, sometimes Ridley would give a call. What do you think? You know, do you have any ideas? Maybe we should do something. Uh, that kind of thing happened a couple of times. And what was your response? Uh, uh. Uh, I did have some ideas. So I flew out to L.A. maybe twice to have meetings, you know, but the, the, and we thought about going ahead, but then uh, the, the rights were very confusing and unhandy, so nothing ever happened. But that's about it. And, oh, and I, and I wrote a story uh, in, in, uh, about six years ago, a little story uh, that involved uh, the playbook, so to speak, a little short story. But that's about it. Well, let me ask you in a more general way, Harrison. When you think back to the, the first Blade Runner, do you have vivid memories of filming it or considering it was 35 years ago, is it, is it not as vivid? It was raining. <laughs> I was tired. 
I was happy with the uh, with the eventual the long term uh, eventual movie. Uh, a lot has uh, a lot has happened since then, but uh, it was a it was a remarkable experience working with Ridley and uh, Jordan. Cronenberg and uh, the rest of the people involved in Hampton, uh, uh, but uh, it's a long time ago in a world far, far away. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, what would be some adjectives to describe how you felt at the idea of taking these extremely well-known characters and making a screenplay out of Hampton's novella? Uh, terrified. I mean, this is... Um the idea of working on Blade Runner is absolutely playing with fire, but I think everyone up here is a pyromaniac of sorts. Um, so it's exciting. And the chance to take something that Hampton had written, he paints with smoke, beautiful smoke, and then trying to uh, work with that and to work alongside Ridley and then Denis. Uh, it's a pleasure, it's a privilege. And it's a, it's a fortunate thing when you know who you're writing for when you're trying to please those two artists. Uh, because if they tell you did something wrong, you can say that's wrong. And if they say you did something right, you can sleep well. Yeah. Janine, what would you say would be some of the things thematically that you were most interested in exploring in taking this on? Uh, the, the idea that... Uh... As human beings, we are we programmed by our uh, genetic background, by by our education, and how can we get uh, free from that? That how it's something that uh, is inherent of the in the project. I think also also the idea how I wanted to bring back that beautiful melancholia for, from the first movie and explore it uh, with my own sensibility. Um, that was that would be uh, my first answer. Yeah. <laughs> And also, my understanding is that it was obviously very important to you to have the blessing of Ridley Scott, who directed the first film and is an EP on this. How did you kind of get that blessing from him? How did you know that he was more than on board with you doing this? <laughs> what? You usually know when Ridley is not happy with <laughs> <laughs> I think that I will not be here, actually. The thing is, uh, I, I, I uh, know... Uh, uh, and Ruin Broderick uh, organized a meeting right from the start. That was the, the first thing I said, okay, I'll do it. But my, one of my conditions, uh, if I may say, is, was that I needed to be w in the same room with Ridley Scott and uh, having him saying that it was okay for me to, to uh, take the baton, you know, to, to be behind the wheel because Ridley was too busy at the time to do it. So uh, I needed uh, to have his blessing. And uh, that was no, it, it would not have been possible. I, basically, I told him walking in the room, it's simple. You give me your blessing. If you don't, I walk out and I'm not doing the movie. It's not for me. It's, there's no uh, in between. It's like uh, I, you, it's okay with you. Or if it's not, I'm, I'm, I'll be in peace with that and I will walk away. Brian, I was looking through your your filmography. You've never done a movie like this before in this milieu in this genre. What would you say the role of Kay allowed you to do that maybe you hadn't done before? Besides, get punched in the face a lot. Um. Well, it seemed like Harrison had so much fun on the original. It seemed like a great, uh, great time to be had. Um, no, I, I, it's it's a very unique opportunity. Uh, it's 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 such a wildly unique film. 
when I first saw it, I was 12. It had been out for 10 years. I thought I was just watching a science fiction movie. Uh, but what I experienced was something very different. And what's interesting about the film is not just the experience of watching it, but how it stays with you. I wasn't asking myself at 12 what it meant to be a human being. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I was after it. Uh, or maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, uh, those seeds were planted. And I realized how much influence it had had on the culture I grew up in. And so, uh, you know, then to read a script uh, that had such, you know, was a love letter in certain ways to the original, but was also very much its own thing that was uh, respectfully... Uh, carrying out the narratives and themes of the original, but at the same time introducing its own uh, conceptual ideas that still was massive in scale, but at the same time intimate, personal, emotional. It's, this is an experience that's unique to, to Blade Runner and uh, um, a wonderful opportunity for me to be a part of something uh, very unique. As we know from the trailer, you and Harrison do have scenes together. What was it like on the day that you knew he was coming to the set for you and Denis? Were you like making sure the craft service table was extra clean? Like what, what, what special things were going on in advance of knowing that he was coming? Well, he arrived in a very uh, cinematic way. We heard Harrison had landed. We heard Harrison was coming to set. We heard Harrison had arrived. It was very dark lit. You could only distinguish people by their silhouette. <laughs> Suddenly this very distinctive silhouette appears. He steps into the light and he looks at me a lot like that. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I was an eight-year-old kid who just broke his window. <laughs> and then immediately put us at ease because he's the best collaborator you could ever ask for and um, brings with him the experience and the intent of making something great. And we all felt that and uh, felt like we could really begin to do that. Robin, for you, this is such a great kind of authority figure role. What did you enjoy most about your scenes? Being a badass, just. <laughs> and what was so great about Denis, um, how he brings heart to the darkness. And that was such a, a nice caveat to feel so fierce as an authority figure, as a leader, as a lieutenant, needing to keep order and there's one mission and everybody needs to stay within those confines of that mission but to also feel this undying affection and protection of this special boy, because he's so special, and we don't want to break him. And if you break him, I'll kill you. You know, that, that was fun to play. You're talking about the character, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just want to make sure. It's okay, I talk about my son then. <laughs> for, for Mackenzie and Anna, your scenes bring such a fascinating sense of emotion to the film. What did you most get into in, in your days of shooting? What excited you the most? Mackenzie, we'll start with you. 
Um, I uh, I really love. There's such a caste system in this world of uh, the, there's not like a lot of upward mobility and it can feel really confining. I think, but I I really like that Mariette was sort of aware of being an underling and um, she just seems like this cheeky drowned rat who'd survived a an apocalypse and um, I don't know. She was really fun to play. Anna, how about you? There's such a great connection between the two characters, your character and Ryan's. Yeah, um, that was a very incredible scene to to do. It was very challenging, uh, technically speaking, because there were so many things that we, we never did before, and it was kind of like doing like a dance, and we were kind of fighting against each other. No one wanted to be the second one, because it was very difficult to repeat. And, and it was like very short beats, um, and it was kind of difficult to continue with that emotion for so long. It was a scene that took us like three days to shoot, so it was very, very intense, but we, you know, it was kind of surreal then seeing it on screen, because it's like someone's, you know, someone new is in there, so. Yeah. Yeah, it was really beautiful. Sylvia, for you, anyone who's seen the trailer sees that you have some very intense moments. There's a lot of colors for In Love. Um, character. What, did you ever think you'd have a role like this as multifaceted? No, I, I, I was astonished when I read the script and I saw this rich palette that I could play with um, and I felt very grateful. Um, I remember just having so much fun preparing and thinking, you know, these are all the possibilities. You know, what can I do with her? Where can we go you know, on this journey? Uh, I felt, you know, <laughs> I felt very happy. It was the most fun character I, I'd ever played. Mm. Dave, obviously there's a lot of physicality to your role, to your scenes. Is there anything that you'd like to say to Ryan? Any, <laughs> anything now that the, the dust has settled? Are you, are you, <laughs> what are you assuming? <laughs> are you guys in a good place? Hey, yes, I think Ryan owes me an apology. <laughs> <laughs> Once Harrison apologizes to me, then I'll uh, <laughs> think about handing out apologies. But is it super fun to have a role that's that pivotal in a movie without giving too much away? Um, you know, it's funny because when I first got the role, I didn't realize uh, how important the, uh, the character was to the, the plot of the film. Uh, so I was pretty stressed out about having that pressure put upon me, <laughs> feeling like uh, you know I was kind of uh, uh, I don't know the, the newbie uh, to the cast. But uh, no, I mean I I I really uh, I don't know I'm proud to have, have earned the part and to be a uh, part of this amazing movie. Yeah, Andrew and uh, Broderick at the, the bookends of uh, of the panel here. Hmm. I know it was very important to you guys and to Denis particularly to have as much of this shot on a physical set as possible and not use CGI. From a production standpoint, what challenges did that bring to the production and how did you overcome them? Well, um, interesting. Um, it's, it's a challenge in this, only in the sense that um, there's so much pressure, there's so much... Um, it was so important to us to try to make the very best film that we could, and we knew that entailed putting, you know, Denis and Roger and all the other incredible artists in the best position to, 
you know, really achieve that art. And part of that is Denis has spoken about so articulately over the past few days is real sets, real props, the, the care, the love, the specificity that went into every little detail of the film really allows the artist to get in there and really create. And, and Denis has an incredible talent and, and really ability to make magic with these artists when he's given the resources. So mine and Andrew's goal was to make sure that to put them in the very best position that they could be in to achieve that art and to make sure that, you know, everybody got along. <laughs> right. So. Scale-wise, does this compare with anything that you guys have worked on? We've done some pretty large-scale movies. I, I think, um, you know, as far as building the actual sets and as it relates to the overall vision for the film, I think um, what's so special about the movie Denis has made, and I think it's, uh, what makes great science fiction great science fiction is the humanistic quality of the film. And there are a lot of components that go into that. It's the extraordinary performances of the uh, actors up here on the stage. It's the script that Hampton and Michael wrote. I also think it's being able to live in a real universe with real sets, real physical props, the ability to to improvise and, and, and whatnot, as opposed to working in a green screen environment, is a, is, I wouldn't say it's the only component, but it's an important component of how Denis creates the very humanistic uh, movies that he does. And so, you know, he, he explained to me and Broderick what he and Roger needed, and, you know, our job as producers is, is to give it to them. And before I open it up to you all, I want to end with you, Cynthia, because your late husband, Bud Yorkin, uh, was on the producing team of the original film. I know this was very important to him to see another film made. He passed away two years ago, six months shy of his 90th birthday. What is it like for you to be on the cusp of the release of this project that was so important to him? Well, we'd started over 12 years ago trying to get the rights untangled with a partner that was reluctant to see anything happen with Blade Runner. It had been so many years, so kind of had to talk him into that first. And uh, then uh, that took quite a while. And so finally we got the rights straightened out and were able to pursue it. And he, it was very important to us as a producing team to find people, uh, a company that would be uh, sensitive to and want to uphold the integrity of the film and continue the mythology in a way that bridge that mythology in, a, in an important, meaningful way. So we met Broderick and Andrew and Al Khan and established a wonderful relationship. My husband was really, really taken with them and thought they were fantastic and smart and talented. So we teamed up with them and they uh, really uh, took this movie all the way home and it's been such a great experience working with Denise and the talented Ryan and Harrison and, and I think a special shout out to um, the wonderful women in this project, uh, starting with Robin Wright, and we have Sylvia and Anna and Mackenzie, and you know it's just been amazing that the women have such great roles, uh, courtesy of Hampton and uh, Michael, and uh, I think it, it's an incredible feat that Andrew and Broderick were able to bring this to fruition in such an incredible way, a meaningful way to create a film that is such an experience for everybody, ex exciting ride that will uh, be long talked about 
afterwards, after they leave the theater. So I, I'm, I'm very, very pleased that the dream of my husband and myself came true, and the dream of this team uh, has come, through, come true in such an amazing way. Thank you. Okay, I'm sure you guys have questions for this crew. So there's microphones here. They're going to pass them out. There's one on each side. Hi. Um, I have a question for the producers and for Ryan. When you take on what is a big legacy film, and you talk about pressure to do so, what are the priorities that you establish for yourself to make sure the legacy is protected? <laughs> Andrew, kick it off. Oh, all right, I'll kick it off. Um, well, I think there are a few components to that. I, I, I think a starting point is, is that it's very helpful to protect the legacy of a film if the artists involved in the original film are part of the continuation of the story. And yeah, it's a real source of pride to me and Broderick that Ridley uh, and Hampton and... Um, Who's the guy who plays Deckard? Harrison. Um, uh, and actually, we have... <laughs> we have a few more surprises. You all uh, know a few of them. Uh, but, uh, of course, Sid Mead lent his skills to some of the design in Las Vegas. So we brought as many of the people who were the geniuses behind the original film to participate in this, and we felt that was an important component in giving us the best chance to protect the legacy and the universe that, um, uh, that the first film had created. Right. Well, first of all, yeah, just piggybacking on that, Harrison, Ridley, Hampton, all agreed and decided that this was the time to make the film, that this was the story to tell, that this was the way that those the narrative would have evolved, that the world would have evolved. So, who might argue <laughs> with that? But the question I ask myself, I think, after that is, when you read the screenplay, is there a story to be told here? Is this, uh, does it stand on its own? Is there um, something useful in here uh, and worth all this effort? And I, there was no doubt in my mind after reading it that those things were true. And then you got your Denis Villeneuve's, your Roger Deakins, uh, the, you know, this incredible cast, the incredible craftsmen that went, uh, you know, in Budapest that were building these environments. It just, it just kept uh, expanding and, uh, um, you know, so many great um, storytellers manning the helm. Story was paramount on set. It was the every all all of the aesthetic choices came from story and character, and uh, it just instilled a, a great amount of confidence in me, and I felt very, um, you know, challenged by it, but excited by the opportunity. Where's the mic on this? Here, Har Harrison, can you talk a little bit? This this film and the first film. Uh, stand out because they're so visually stimulating. It's this incredible look. As an actor, how important is that for you in getting into the character and getting into the role to have that sort of visual impact there as far as sets and everything? And secondly, is there another character that you've played in the past that you'd like to revisit? Um, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. 
And when you get on a, on a set that's uh, that there's been a lot of thought put into the visual aspects of, of that scene, you feel a support from from an, and an, and a, and you know what you don't have to do. You have to be there, of course, uh, for the other characters and and to service the story. But so much is done in, in, in a visual way. It's, it it uh, certainly encourages uh, your confidence. And um, and the second part was, uh, is there another role that I? Um, Not that I can think of. <laughs> Thank you. The side, where's the mic? Hi. Over here. How you doing? Morning. For Denis, I uh, just want to know what it's like, to, how does it feel to be the envy of all your peers? Um, the first Blade Runner pretty much marked a before and after uh, setting a standard in the genre. Um, it's even preserved in the National uh, Library of Congress. I want to know what kind of pressure that exerted on you uh, trying to fill those shoes of uh, Ridley and how it uh, affected your choices, your dictatorial choices, <clears throat> excuse me, your creative choices while directing this film. The question is for me. Uh, the good news is I'm a Canadian. So <laughs> about the, the, the movie being a national treasure for the United States, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing is that uh, it's, it's a movie that is, uh, I repeat, and it's true, it's a movie that uh, had a huge impact on me uh, for several reasons. When I saw it, uh, when it came out on the th in the theater, I was like, uh, at the time, a young teenager, and uh, I was like hungry for strong science fiction, a mature science fiction, science fiction that was designed for adults and not for and, and not parody or B movies or, and and when I saw saw Blade Runner, it it, it was really like. Uh, Sincerely, a movie that really impressed me for for a lot of reasons, um, and one of them is that uh, at the time I was starting to dream about the idea of uh, directing movies, and we can all agree, I think, that Dead Runner is by far one of the strong is a very strong example of what uh, a movie can be when it's in the hands of an author. You know, it was like a, it's a director's movie. The, 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 Hampton, uh, are you okay with um, what I'm saying right now? <laughs> no, no, but seriously, is that what I'm saying is that it's really uh, the imprint of Ridley was uh, very powerful aesthetically and, uh, and uh, was, as you rightly said, that was, there was a before and an after. It really changed the nature of, uh, uh, it inspired so much movies after. So how can you revisit a universe that has been um, a copy uh, uh, or in that in a universe that inspired so many movies after, and that was a, one of the biggest big challenge how to to make it sure that uh, we will go back there uh, with uh, fresh eyes and um, I will say that uh, a lot of uh, one thing that why I, one of the main thing I said yes is the screenplay what Hampton had brought as, as ideas and what Michael Green had, had brought, that what they had brought together, there was a space, uh, necessary space for a director to, to bring his own imprint. There was like, a, so that I will say that, uh, that uh, the screenplay was a huge help. And um, 
I revisited all the drafts from Michael and the very early draft from Anton, and they became my Bible. You know, and and uh, that's what I will say. Thank you. Hi. Hi, this is for Harrison. Thank you. Um, I thought the story was very clever. I loved it. It's a great connective tissue between the two films. Did the story have to be right for you to return as Deckard? Yeah, I was looking for an opportunity to extend the audience's understanding of the character um, to be part of the telling of the story. Um, uh, it had to be my part. The whole had to be um, um, something I really wanted to be involved in as well, not just my part. Um, and I saw that uh, potential. And I, and I also um, was anxious to work uh, with the people involved, with Denis, with Ryan. Um, so it, it, for, for me, it, it was a it was um, a great opportunity. Yes. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, Denis, um, your movies look beautiful, all of them. Um, much of that, of course, is your uh, return to collaborate again with my favorite talent, the god of cinematography, Roger Deakins. Um, could you talk a bit about capturing the look of the original film and you know, injecting your own look in collaboration with Deakins? Okay, so sorry, there was a bit of echo you're talking about. Uh, the, sorry. The, 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 the idea was uh, to talk about my collaboration with Roger on this project. Yes, exactly. You returned uh, to, to I, I will say right from the start, it's like, uh, as uh, someone said, a uh, uh, gentleman said earlier, it's, those are big uh, shoes to fill, you know. And, and uh, uh, when I, I said yes right from the start, I, I uh, said to me, uh, I need to surround myself with very strong artists. And the first one, I, when I said yes, the first thing I did the same day, I had a dinner at Roger's house, and I asked him to get on board with me, which is, he, he, he said yes right away, because he, uh, Roger and I were um, dreaming about doing a science fiction movie together, and uh, um, so what I did is that um, the big difference with the movies I've done before is that I brought Roger very early in the process, meaning that we started to have uh, uh, sessions, working sessions in Montreal for weeks, if not for months, spent a few months in Montreal in a hotel room with two storyboard artists, and uh, we drew all the movie together, all the storyboards, but also we designed the movies together. We, 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 uh, we figured out the laws of the, 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 the screenplay was giving us hints about what the world will be, but we needed to go more, uh, more specific, and, and, we, we did a lot. and then Dennis Gassner, the production designer, joined us, but the, we created uh, in, in those Montreal sessions what will be the define the laws from a sociologic point of view, economic, geopolitic, uh, climate, uh, architecture. Everything was designed uh, uh, in in, uh, in those working sessions with Roger, and I'm really grateful. He was like really like um, I made the movie with him all the way from day one until the, the very last uh, screening. You know, it's um, I owe him a lot. Yeah, the movie owe him a lot. Uh, hello, uh, this question is for Denise, and maybe some of the actors want to say something about it. Uh, we're not talking about plot points, but th the characters for sure are very complex, interesting. So I was wondering how was the process of like uh, developing the characters in terms of like you as a director, 
telling, talking with the with the actors, and then the actors. Uh, I suppose it's not easy to use like a traditional like acting method to portray characters like this. So it's probably an interesting process, right? Different than maybe anything else that you guys have done before. But the thing is that, uh, uh, that what was different in this movie was to uh, to start with somebody else's dream. I mean, I'm used to be the master of my the, the dream at the beginning. Now I was playing with. Uh, the ideas of Ridley Scott and Empton Fencher and and uh, and one of the toughest things with, for me for this project was to bring back uh, Rick Deckard, Harrison's character, and to my great relief and and uh, right from the start I felt that Harrison wanted to to be part of the creative process and to help me. I needed I would not have been able to do it alone. You know I needed a collaboration, a, a dialogue that. Uh, and it, it, I think it's a dialogue that evolved uh, through time. At the beginning, uh, there was a long period of uh, silence and, and uncertainty. I mean, the, to, to how do we bring him back to life? What will be uh, his mental state? How, how will he be uh, having been through 30 years uh, away from our eyes? And, and, uh, and uh, so it's a process that, uh, and with all the actors, it's always the same. I love to create with actors. Uh, is the way I like to share, I think. I don't know if uh, they agree, but I, that's the way I, that's my goal. I don't know why I, I, if, but my goal is to share creativity with them as much as possible. And um, I think that's what I tried to do with them again, that's what I would say. But for this time, it was uh, uh, specifically with Harrison, it was like crucial more than ever. Any of the cast want to add anything to that? You don't have to. They don't agree. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, w I would say that uh, um, there was uh, there was a period of, of um, uh, questioning, uh, as as Denis indicates, um, how much of the story to tell uh, in the space, uh, what the story was to tell about this. Uh, in that space between the last time you saw Deckard and you see him now, what and what condition uh, we find him in, and uh, I found it a real pleasure to work with uh, Denny's uh, imagination and uh, have him respect uh, the process, and we ended up uh, in a place that I think, I hope, uh, serves the film well. Uh, but I was also anxious uh, to um, I think that's all I want to say. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the question. This is, uh, this is for any of the actors actually. Can you give us like your first reactions to walking onto some of these incredible sets? Anna? Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm about to. <laughs> um, you know, every day felt, to me, every day felt like it was the first day. It was really hard to get used to um, those sets and Ryan <laughs> and Denis and Roger and everyone. It was, um, it was incredible. It was, we, we had a, an amazing playground to... to to play around and we have a lot of we had a lot of freedom and building these characters that only exist in the future I mean you know talking about it with Denis from the beginning was 
very interesting because we kind of, you know, just came up with our own rules and, and ideas and ways of making them, you know, um, just to be alive. I don't know. Um, so it was, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Anyone else? Well, I think um, if I can say something about the sets, uh, the sets for all of us were very overwhelming. Um, like I remember we used to talk about it a little bit before we went on to a new set and we'd ask, you know, the other person, what do you think this next set will look like? <laughs> and every time it was so overwhelming with something that you didn't, you wouldn't expect. And even like the extras that were in the sets and you were like, what? And you felt like your own mind was such a you know, a cliche of, of uh, you know, your own fantasies were so cliche in a sense. And um, yeah, I think for me, uh, it was very important to understand this new Blade Runner universe, this new language that we were speaking, you know, being able to understand what Roger and Denis and Dennis Gasner had created and, 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 and be able to add on to that as an actor it was very important to all of us, I think. Thank you, right here. Um, this is for Sylvia. First of all, I love all the female roles in this film, so thank you for bringing that to, to life. Sylvia, your character is so interesting. I was so intrigued by love. Um, what did you enjoy most about playing her? Now, are there any parts of her character that you could relate to in your real life? <laughs> <laughs> you might want to duck, Ron. Uh, Watch it. <laughs> I should answer. <laughs> yeah, Denis uh, uh, always says... Uh, he reminds her of Audrey Hepburn on, on acid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that is a thing. I mean, it was so much fun uh, to play her. Um, I think I did a lot of uh, uh, training for it. So I, 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 the day after I heard I got the part, uh, Andrew Kosov has a wonderful friend that he trains with. Um, is a, she's a world champion uh, triathlete. Leslie Patterson, this muscular but tiny piece of dynamite that just got me through every single day of training, six hours a day, six days a week. You know, I Sundays I would be on the couch, heat packs, ice packs everywhere, not being able to move. Um, but it, it, it paid off. I mean, I, I gained those pounds of muscle, and, and I really felt that I met the character while going through that pain and, and that discipline. And and, and it was lovely to meet her, actually. I, the whole world opened up to me. And, uh, yeah, there was, there, was, there, there was so many things to play with. You know, you could, there was satire. There was humor. She's like a fashionista. She's um, a vulnerable bull. She, she wants Neander's approval like a daughter to a father. Um, she's like a kid, you know, in a grown-up world. And... Um, uh, trying to control everything, trying to be perfect. And that was just something we all can relate to in this world, I think, you know, with all the social media around us. Um, and um, I loved to take that on. Yeah. Where's the mic here? Hi. Uh, I just wanted to talk about the ending of the original Blade Runner. It's like one of the all-time classic endings. So I'm curious what everyone thought of the original ending and also for Mr. Ford, how often had you thought about Deckard over these past 30 years and where Deckard might be? Well, I'd, 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 first of all, there were um, 
a variety of endings. I'm talking about the elevator. <laughs> and it ended with uh, Ridley's final cut. And uh, I was much happier with that version than the one with the, uh, with the voiceover and the uh, sailing into the sunset. And uh, uh, I've, I've thought about it uh, frequently because I've been re reminded of, of, of how, well, reminded of how, how uh, many filmmakers uh, took inspiration from that, from that film and how much it defined um, uh, a certain uh, kind of visual storytelling, how, how strongly uh, the effect of that film has, you know, been on, on our culture and, and the uh, prescience of, uh, of many of the things that were uh, imagined might be part of the future. I mean, it's, uh, it's had a huge influence on our culture um, and my life. I'm afraid that's all the time we have, but I want to thank this wonderful group for being with us today. And thank thank you. you for all the questions. Enjoy your Sunday. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you all. Thank you. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we'd greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to this show is on our website, monkeysfightingrobots.com. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the 134th episode of the movie show a success. Special shout out to the whole staff at Monkeys Fighting Robots. You guys create amazing content and you guys just keep churning it out. Thank you so much. Nerd Roast Coffee Company. Check them out. Go to Facebook. Like them. Nerd Roast Coffee Company. Uncanny Heroes in Tampa. Local comic book store. If you're in Tampa, check them out. If you're on vacation, coming to Tampa, check them out. Uncanny Heroes. Check them out. Jeff Shea is the creator of our amazing intros. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkey Spider Robots logo. Are you a monkey? Are you a robot? To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkeys Fighting Robots. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today.